This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. Our guest today is Chief Billy Goldfeder, Deputy Fire Chief for the Loveland Sims Fire Department in Southwest Ohio. Billy is a member of many boards and organizations. We could take the entire podcast with that bio. So in the interest of time, he's a, a, a member of many boards and organizations and is a Fire Rescue One editorial advisory board member. He's also one of our columnists. Chief Goldfeder is working with Fire Rescue One on a new video series. We'll have more to come on that another time. Uh, Chief Goldfeder, I got a question I want to ask you about a recent column you wrote for us. You, you recently began the uh, the Fired Up column for Fire Rescue One. Um, it's supposed to be addressing hot topics uh, in the industry and things that really get you fired up. Uh, that's the, the intent. In your May 25th column, you talked about uh, this particular topic that's of interest to many folks, and that was personality-based mutual aid. I read it. And it reiterated to me that uh, uh, I just don't know what's so difficult about doing the right thing. Can we talk about that for a little bit? Well, sure. And and thanks for having me, uh, Mark. I appreciate it. Um, So, yeah, personality-based mutual aid is basically calling who you like and not calling who you don't like. And um, that's, you you know, there's a source of pride in the fire service and what we do and how we do it. And that's great. But when it interferes with what's best for the people having the fire, as well as the firefighters, then, then we're traveling down the wrong path. Fire chief's egos will get in the way and say, well, I can decide who I want to call. Well, yeah, you can. And, and if it goes well, I know it's our will, you'll be fine. But someday somebody's going to be wise enough to figure out that uh, you're doing what you like versus what's best, <clears throat> and you're going to get jammed up. Yeah. So many times we see it where, uh, you know, you'll see like a, a career department doesn't want to call the volunteers or a volunteer department doesn't want to call the career because they might beat them to the fire. Well, if they might beat them to the fire, that's good. It's not your fire, right? We kind of have to act. And we have to act as if it's, you know, in some respects, we have to act as if it's our fire. In other words, how would you want your your fire handled? But uh, on the other hand, it's not your fire to do what you want with. You know, it's like people who, uh, well, we want to do an aggressive interior attack. And and I'm all for that 95% of the time. But uh, if it's not what's right right now, don't do that because, again, it's not your fire. And uh, so it's the same thing with mutual aid. And I'm just so tired of it. and it, it just frustrates me. And it's certainly gotten better. We've gotten a lot better around the nation. But there's some areas that are still absolutely unbelievable. You'll, I mean, you could have a house fire across the district line uh, where you can see a neighboring fire station, and they're never alerted to go to that fire. Uh, right. And that's borderline criminal. So that, that's kind of where my head's at on that. Yeah, and I, you know, I experience that where I am uh, now. I, I fully understand what you're saying, and there is truth, 100% truth to that statement. And, you know, you said uh, earlier the talking about uh, what's my fire, I want to do it my way. I always tell people, add your honor to the end of that and see how that sounds, because that's where it's going to take us sooner or later. Yeah. So I, I appreciate you keeping that topic uh uh, front and center, and um, I, we all look forward to more of those. Um, I'll call them a gold federism in the uh, in the fired up column. Um, right, let, me, you, let me just throw one more real quick thought on that because people are going to listen and start thinking. And you know, it doesn't mean tomorrow you start doing it. It means tomorrow you go have lunch with the people in charge. Absolutely, uh, because there's got to be some common denominators. There's got to make sure. You, 
your radio frequencies, your operating the same policies, procedures, all that kind of stuff. But in the end, it can be done if you want it to. So thanks. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah, no, you're, you're good. And I mean, that really is key. It, it, it goes back to that this isn't your fire. I've told people for years, these aren't your emergencies. Um, they're, they're your situations to deal with. And uh, if that means that somebody else beats you there because they're closer, well, isn't that dealing with it better? So exactly. Uh, you know, yeah, there's a there's a lot, though, that goes into making that relationship work. And uh, I appreciate you uh, inserting that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so when we talk about somebody getting there quicker, uh, you know, one of the uh, byproducts of that typically, not always, but one of the byproducts of that, uh, you know, we we've said it for years. One of the ways to improve safety is to put the dang fire out. Uh, well, one of the byproducts is the quicker you get water on fire, the fires go out, the less firefighters get put in harm's way. So, you know, that topic ties right into the next thing I want to uh, talk to you about. I mean, you have been a tireless advocate uh, for improving uh, firefighter performance and safety, especially uh, the safety. So I've got a, a three-part question for you there uh, with respect to being a tireless advocate for improving firefighter performance and safety. What drives your passion there is the first part. Then I'd like to go into, you know, a little bit of uh, where you feel like we have made progress, but more importantly, where we still fall short. So what drives your passion for firefighter safety and performance improvements? So firstly, I've stopped using the word safety as much because it seems to be a turnoff to people. So I call it survival. Maybe that makes it pers more personal, but I understand exactly what you're saying. My passion started when I was a firefighter on Long Island in the 70s. And for about a five-year period, we had a boatload of firefighters killed in the line of duty. Uh, two firefighters were killed in Bethpage at a pool supply facility. A firefighter in Wanto was killed when the apparatus he was driving had crashed into the rear of, a, of a, uh, a straight aerial ladder, and the aerial actually went into the cab and killed him. Uh, two firefighters were killed at a synagogue in Valley Stream. Uh, in Port Washington, a firefighter was killed uh, doing a search. Uh, but the one that really struck me was a firefighter that was in uh, Garden City Park Fire Department, which bordered us. And uh, he responded uh, to this uh, van on fire, and a, a gas cylinder within the van exploded and killed him instantly. Mm. Uh, and what what struck me, and again, I was this was in the 70s, so I was pretty, you know, I was in my 20s. And um, what struck me was the acceptance, and I don't mean we didn't mourn. I mean, we bawled and it was horrible, but the acceptance, well, that's part of the job. So I think at that young age, uh, I started realizing that, well, some is part of the job and some isn't. Now, now let me just jump back because this, this reminds me of the, the issue we were just talking about, about mutual aid. In the 60s, I would hang around firehouses, and I'll never forget remembering this one crew, they literally burnt a block down. I'm mean, this fire department burnt a block down, but they were clinging their glasses uh, afterwards in their morning coffee. But we fought that fire without any mutual aid. And that just stuck me. It just struck me just now when we were talking about the mutual aid thing. So what the common denominator in, in that story and then the one you just asked about what is my what my passion is fueled by is the fact as a young firefighter, I did a lot of listening with my two ears uh, and heard lots of comments and saw lots of stuff. 
And that kind of impacted me uh, and, 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 you know, what we can and cannot do. And I, look, I'm, I'm a risky firefighter, always have been. I have no problem. You know, I've got as many burnt helmets as anybody else and many pictures of me as a young firefighter doing what we do. Uh, but I always kind of understood that, you know, that there's, there's this stupid risk and then there's the necessary risk. Uh, and as I've gotten older and, and look, there's a huge transition uh, from, you know, it's kind of like when you don't have kids and you have kids, life takes on a different meaning, uh, different senses of responsibility. Well, the firefighter is the same thing. Even as a company officer, I took my responsibility seriously, but it wasn't until I became a chief in 82 that I really started to, you know, I own this shit and I'm responsible for everything that goes on here. Uh, and that really impacted me. Uh, so from a young age to becoming a young officer, uh, this is not your playground. This is my fire ground. And this is how we're going to. Chief, that's great insight into, um, you know, what really drives your passion. I appreciate that. Um, where do you feel like we've made progress? And then if you can take it right into where we're falling short, where we still have progress to make. So in general, we've made great progress in the areas of apparatus, safety, and driving. I mean, we're still seeing some crashes and, and stuff uh, because that's there are pockets of area where there's failed leadership, whether it's at the department level or at the station level or the captain or lieutenant riding the front seat, or we failed in training. But we've made some good progress in there. We, we, I mean, we're sizing up today so much better than we did even 10 years ago. Uh, command control and accountability on the fire ground is something that's more common than not, where years ago it was rare to see a really well-organized fire ground. So I, I really, and the numbers reflect it. We're seeing the traumatic line of duty deaths go down. We're seeing the heart attack. Uh, I mean, we're, the, the health and fitness, uh, and, and again, so much is just thankful to the Internet because we get the word out and the information out. But people realize if you're carrying an extra 50, 100 pounds around, you're great. You're at great risk to, to losing what you love doing. So why wouldn't you want to, you know, be able to do what you want to do? So, you know, a, a few less snicker bars, a little bit more salad and walk around the firehouse a few times and you're on your way. Uh, but I, I think also that we're seeing a renewed focus on the importance of the company officer. And again, this is it, generally speaking, because you can take pockets. I mean, you go to FDNY and, and you can see some great improvements, but there's going to be this one officer or one firefighter is going to do something goofy. You go to LAFD or, you know, so, but in general, the uh, aura in our business today is uh, we're focused on cancer. We're focused on fitness and we're focused on rapid water on the fire. And we're not losing the aggressive interior attack. I have people complain and whine about that. I don't see that. I mean, the fires I go to in this area uh, and the ones I read about and watch, we're still doing a great job of getting inside. And, and that's what we need to do 95% of the time. Uh, but I think it's just smarter. Uh, you know, we've got a uh, an officer training program that runs annually. It's an officer's boot camp. And it, 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 all the new officers in the region go through it. And I had a chance to stop in and just visit with the class the other day. And I beam. I mean, anymore, I get to a fire. It's like, what do you need? I say to these 30 and 40-year-olds. Because there's nothing I'm going to really do to improve the situation because they're so well-trained. They're so smart. They're so into it. And again, are there a few pockets where there's a knucklehead? Yeah. If you hear so-and-so on the radio, you might want to go a little quicker because you don't want so-and-so running that fire. But for the most part, uh, I think we've improved in the area of health and fitness. We've improved in the area of, of understanding the importance of getting water on that fire. 
uh, and and tactical command and control. I think we've we've done better. Uh, you're, and, and here's the proof. Go back ten years, you wouldn't see command like you do. You wouldn't see as much discussion about a heart attack. And we're still walking out of buildings covered with soot and not even thinking about cancer. Maybe 15 years ago. And now we do think about that a lot more. And and I think that's not only because of what some of the older folks have done by passing that important information on, but I think it's also from what the younger folks have learned from watching some of the old folks do or the older folks do things that maybe they don't want to do. So that's kind of my thoughts on, on our improvements. I think we've done well, um, but there's plenty more to do. Yeah. So take us into what, what else we got to do. I mean, where, where are we falling short? Well, we still got to slow down and not drive like a bunch of idiots. Uh, you know, when you hear, uh, I mean, I, I heard somebody say to me, well, if it's, if it's not a uh, structure fire, we're going easy. But if a box alarm, are you kidding? We got to fly. And I'm like, I don't understand the difference. And, and look, I, you know, I use the example of the non-breathing baby. Yeah, you want to drive like hell to get there, but you want to get there. So I think the area of driving, uh, focus on that. Uh, we need to still, there's areas we need to improve in size up command control and accountability. I'm a fanatic about a disciplined fire ground. Uh, I have zero tolerance for a fire ground where people are doing what they want and playing. It doesn't mean we're playing mother may I. It means we have roles, responsibilities, uh, and everyone needs to do those jobs. Uh, so those are the areas I think that as much as we've seen some improvement, still need a lot of work. And, and, and I guess still, the who's riding your front seat? I ask that question all the time. What qualifies somebody to ride the front seat? What qualifies somebody to ride in a buggy and be in command? What are your department's response, you know, uh, uh, procedures and training people? Uh, people ask the question, what keeps a chief up at night? If a chief sleeps well at night, it means that chief knows the people riding the front seat of that engine and the ladder or the rescue squad are competent people taking good care of the people on that rig with them. And I think that's the focus. And so if I had one wish, it would be more and more focused, standardized training. Uh, that's nonstop for the company officer. You give me a bunch of good company officers, that thing's going to get taken care of. However, you give me a great fire chief, but poor company officers, and nothing's going to get taken care of. So that's kind of where my head's at. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, broader standardized training is uh, something I think a lot of us yearn for. So that need for broader standardized training, uh, you know, brings me to a thought about policy and. Uh, that takes me to my next question. Um, you, uh, Billy, have been a, a longtime consultant for Lexapol. Uh, we know that Lexapol acquired FireRescue1.com and FireChief.com um, recently. And um, just like to hear from you uh, why the uh, policy history that Lexapol brings to uh, us, why is that so important? Why is it so important to have? good policies and, um, you know, make sure you're following them. I mean, to me, I'll give you a very simple example. If I give you 10 football teams to bet on and uh, only uh, five of them have a playbook and only five of them uh, have uh, a good coaching staff, where are you going to put your money? And that's the same thing with policy in the fire department. Policy doesn't mean that you have to play mother may I. It doesn't mean that you have to do something a certain way all the time. It basically means this is how we generally expect you to function. 
it sets a tone. So A, B, C, D, E, F, G, shift are all doing the same thing, that the volunteers are doing the same thing. Uh, if this crew responds in versus that crew responding in, and it provides basically a, a, a guideline, a map. Uh, and, 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 you know, it, it's, it's like if you, you, you got to understand where you're going and there's got to be an understanding in that trip, if you will, how we're going to function, what we're going to do, how we're going to behave. Uh, and, and, and without policy, you get firefighter A behaving a certain way, firefighter B operates another way, and now the chief's got nothing to fall on to say, hey, I expect you to behave a certain way. Uh, even more so, let's decide how we want to operate. Let's write that down, make it policy, and now we train on that policy. You know, you'll hear, well, on B shift, we do this. On C shift, we do that. That's bullshit. It's the same fire. The, the community doesn't give a damn about who's on duty today. And sure, I mean, I mean, you know, the captain in B shift may be a little bit different than the captain in A shift. I understand that. But for the most part, tying to a hydrant, laying out, searching the room, vetting the room, et cetera, has got to be standard. Now, that we generally do relatively well. And we are paying officers to make decisions based upon the conditions. The area we need more assistance in, and again, that's where policy and guidelines and rather procedures come from, is the behavior inside the firehouse. What's acceptable, what's not, what does the chief expect? And you can have a rumor about what you expect as the chief and hope everybody's going to get it, or you can send an email and say, this is what I'd like, or you can have a system where every member at any time can look up what the expectations are. And that's how you get judged. It's, it's fair. It's across the board. Uh, and it keeps you out of trouble. So that, that's my thoughts on uh, why you've got to have policy and, 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 and procedures and guidelines to kind of help set that direction. So everyone's not doing their own thing. It's not a free-for-all. Uh, now, where it started, just because you mentioned my time with Lexapol, is in 2006, Gordon Graham and I, well, actually before that, uh, in the 90s, we used to teach uh, for a group called Command School. And Gordon, myself, uh, uh, Ruben, um, Bruno, and uh, Carl Holmes and others, we had a chance to travel around the country about eight or nine times a year and do these seminars. And that's where Gordon and I met in the 90s and became pretty good friends. And uh, he initially is the one who sponsored and continues to sponsor Firefighter Close Calls. So as we became friends, he said to me, you know, we're, we're, we do this law enforcement thing in Lexapol, uh, and we'd like to do something with fire. So over time, and again, it's, this, this was in the 90s, but in, in 2006, he said, it's time. Let's sit down and talk about this. So in a hotel room uh, with a couple other folks, we scratched out exactly what Lexapol fire uh, should look like. And uh, it took about eight or nine years for them to develop into where they are today. Uh, and now Lexapol provides fire departments with a system that allows you to allow, allows you to put your local flavor, your local needs, your local uh, uh, preferences in it. But it allows every member of your department to know that there's one way of operating. There's one set of procedures, because what do most firefighters complain about? This firefighter got treated this way. I did the same thing. I got treated differently or on this shift. They train this much. On my shift, they never trade. That makes that all go away because there's a there's right back to what I said before about football teams. There's a playbook. 
and we're going to operate off the playbook. Doesn't mean the playbook doesn't change from time to time, it becomes a living document, but it allows everybody across the board to understand what their expectations are. Yeah. And the one of the struggles that I see in a lot of places is, um, especially in emerging departments, so maybe you can help uh, give, a, give a little thought here, is for those young officers or new people, if you will, to have some input as that department is emerging, some input into that policy as opposed to it being a cookie cutter, can off the shelf plan. How do we how do we engage those officers and give them the opportunity to mold uh, or at least feel like they've been part of that molding process? Any, any thoughts there for chiefs that are dealing with it? Absolutely. The electrical system is not at all cookie cutter. It allows you to plug these things in, but kind of picture a clock, if you will. And, and let's start at 12 o'clock and at 12 o'clock, and we're not talking about time, we're talking about a pie chart basically. But at the 12 o'clock mark is where the department identifies a need for policy, whatever that policy is. Uh, the one o'clock mark is the first step you do is see if there's already a policy out there. Maybe NFPA has something. Maybe you're talking about a policy for a tool and, and the manufacturer has a policy. But either way, you identify what it is you're going to be doing uh, or, or what your solution is. And is there already a solution? Uh, what your problem is, rather, and is there a solution? The next step is if there's not, you start developing that policy through an internal process. Uh, you may use some external process, or it may be a manufacturer's policy on a specific piece of equipment, but you want to carry it much further than just what the manufacturer recommends. That's where you enter your members. Now, if you're going to do a, a policy on, on, let's just say, the jaws of life, you probably want to have people on that committee who actually operate the jaws of life. Too many police places uh, and, and chiefs will insert themselves into the policy. Oh, I know about the JAWS. I worked it 20 years ago. Well, it's 20 years ago. Why don't you focus on you know, what your job is and let the troops who are involved in this decide what's necessary for that policy. It doesn't mean the chief can't say, uh, you know, you'll always wear gloves, you'll always wear uh, eye protection, all that. But let the people who are using the tool, as well as the experts who made the tool, work on that policy. So now we're heading to the two o'clock mark. We've got a draft policy. The draft policy now, especially in human resources, especially in people policies, like you may do this, you may not do that. Uh, I, I, it reminds me of the story of the chief in Illinois a number of years ago that said, uh, women firefighters are not allowed to breastfeed on duty. Well, you know what? He really should have checked with the attorneys before he did that because he, he couldn't have been more wrong. And sometimes fire chiefs fall into this area that they're an expert in everything. You're really not. Uh, unless you got a law degree, you're not an expert in law. Unless you got an HR degree, you're not an expert in HR. All you're doing is using experience, which is important. But if your policy turns out to be a problem, who's going to defend you? So you want to talk to your law folks and say, hey, here's a draft. Anything standing out that looks like a problem. All right. So now we're going to head to around the four o'clock mark in this policy. The first, uh, around four o'clock, you're going to send that draft out for review by the, the whoever this policy may be applicable to. And sometimes you may not want to send it out, but you're talking about participatory management, so I'm answering your question on that. So right around the four o'clock mark, you're going to ask people, hey, take a look, and we're not going to let it sit there for six months. We're going to give you uh, basically two shifts, six days. 
if you don't have your your feedback uh, back to the committee members or whoever you designate, we're moving forward. All right. So that's when the folks who actually operate the jaws of life or whatever are going to have a chance to see what's going to become policy. So the law people agree, the staff generally agrees, the officers agree, hey, we got a good policy. Now we're going from five, six, and seven o'clock. Five is classroom training. Every member of the organization is going to get classroom training. It may be just by shift in the firehouse, or it may be a very formal classroom auditorium type event, depending upon the policy. The next step at six o'clock of that policy is you're going to do hands-on. Now, if it's a personnel policy, you may want to do some role-playing, especially if it's a critical one, like how we treat each other, uh, how we treat new probies, things like that. Uh, if it's the jaws of life, you may, you're may you going to have everybody out there, and they're going to work the tool. And everybody's going to go through that hands-on process uh, so they have a chance. Again, this is before the policy gets enacted, so everybody has a chance to check that out. And next, our, our 7 o'clock uh, mark on this clock, if you will, is when we're going to test you. We're going to verify the training. If it's uh, on the HR type stuff, we're going to have a quiz. What would you do with this? What would you do here? It's not pass-fail. It's to educate you, to train you. You're going to work the jaws of life. Show us how you do it. We're going to test you on the process. Now, we're at 8 o'clock, and from 8 o'clock is when we implement it. Dear everybody, remember that policy? Remember how much you said you liked it or sort of did? It's now policy effective immediately. Nine o'clock is a reminder to the officers that your job is now to enforce that policy. Now, we expect everybody pretty much to follow it. So let's move to 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock is if somebody chooses to not follow the policy, that's what forces the officer into it. So really around nine is we, we already trained you. There's no reason why you wouldn't follow the policy. But after that, if you don't, You've made the decision to not follow the policy, and we're going to take steps to correct your behavior. It may be a big deal. It may be nothing. It may be, hey, knucklehead, don't do that again. Or it may be, are you crazy? You can't do that. Put the gun away. Get to my office. This is a big problem. Okay? And then from that point on until we reach 12 noon again, we're really talking about an annual review uh, of applicable policies. Uh, take a look and see what needs to be updated. And, again, if you use Lexapol, you're going to do this anyway. Uh, but they've got a great uh, a, a great virtual system uh, using smartphones and all kinds of technology that puts these policies in everybody's hands. So that's kind of my vision on how you get people involved in policy. I probably went a little bit longer than you wanted, but in my no, mind, that's, that's how I envision it. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it, it's the same uh, concept of a OODA loop and observe, orient, decide, and act, and that constantly. Yeah. You know, planning P, you call it the clock, but uh, no, I appreciate the insight. I think it's good for um, especially especially younger chiefs, but for folks that are trying to uh, just get a picture of, you know, how do, how do I include these guys? Well, there's your clock. The last question I want to ask you about uh, really revolves around uh, fire service uh, relevancy. And, you know, over the years, we have, we as a fire service have struggled to maintain a, a universally clear message of identity and relevance in some communities, not everywhere, I recognize that. As we emerge from this COVID tunnel, um, at least it looks like we're emerging from it, how do we maintain relevance 
And what do you see as the big issues, COVID-related or not, what do you see as the big issues um, affecting the fire service relevancy in the future? So I use, Brian, and, and look, at this stage of my career, I have no reason to suck up to anybody, but I, I really have deep respect for my own boss, and of course, your friends with Ott. Uh, and he really has, uh, over decades, understood the importance of the immersion of the fire department into the community. And I think that's that's your relevance answer, is whatever we can help with, we're going to do that. We're not hiding behind bay door. I mean, in our district, you can pre-plan your at-risk child. If you've got a special needs kid, we actually have that in our computer system when we pre-plan that. We know on our way to that house that that kid's got these issues. Um, you can pre-plan your senior citizen. And we've had this for 15, 20 years, our senior and PD med programs. Uh, your mom lives in our district or your dad lives in our district, and we get a 911 call or an automatic alarm for that location. We know everything about your mom and dad. Uh, and again, it's, we're not soliciting. I mean, we are soliciting it. If they don't want to provide it, they don't have to. Um, we had a major fire downtown, and, and we really did a heck of a job on it, but it took a big bite out of our commercial district. Our chief took the lead in, 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 in leading the rebuilding of our downtown project. Um, there's nowhere in our area that you're not going to see our, we do birthday parties, we do parades, we do the uh, senior citizens events. And, and that, by nature of that, that ties our relevance in because we become part of the bloodstream. People become used to us doing these things. And therefore then, you know, well, let's check with the fire chief, let's check with the fire department. So, and that means you got to go a little bit beyond sitting around waiting for that house fire. Uh, I read a story last week, and we've seen these before, uh, of a department that does no EMS. They fight public education. They have separate inspectors, and the water department checks their hydrants for them. So you've got this career fire department where they're sitting there in an upper income area waiting for fires, and they don't want to do anything else. That's a sure way to assure your lack of relevance in the future. So I, I think between those two, and we saw a department in Long Island a couple of years ago. They were up to 30 career people at one point, and now they're down to zero. It's back to being 100% volunteer fire department. I'm not sure if that's what's best for the community or not, but they kind of really push themselves out of business by the lack of providing service. So relevance is about getting immersed in the community, and look, if you don't like doing birthday parties, you don't like Stinky the Fire Dog, you don't like the, the, the little plastic hats, this isn't the job for you. If you don't, and we need to test people for that, for that personality type, where someone's willing to talk to the community, is willing to keep the bay doors open. Uh, we, we've got to be able to immerse ourselves in the community. Uh, so, we're, so relevancy doesn't even become an issue. It makes it where they can't even function without us. Because not only every emergency, you're going to see us there first, but every community event, every uh, um, uh, uh, large social activities, things like that, we're there. And so that's the best example I can give. And look, we're not a perfect fire department. We, we have our days like anybody else. But our boss and our board absolutely get it as far as relevance. And we follow that, uh, we follow that mantra in everything we do in our community. Uh, that's great, um, and, a, and a great way to to help us close out. Is there anything else you want to cover while uh, while we have a minute here? 
No, I mean, just to wrap it up, I'm optimistic. Uh, uh, you know, you, you read a lot on the internet and all kinds of stuff, pessimistic about the future and these young firefighters and all that. Well, I'm, you know, I visit where where my son works and I, I visit where other friends work and I spend lots of time, obviously, in my own department, in my own region. We run a very aggressive automatic mutual aid box alarm system around here. So I'm regularly uh, dealing with firefighters from our whole area. And I'm optimistic. I mean, yeah, there's a knucklehead here and there. But uh, I think these young folks get it. I'm not buying into the the millennial issue. And, and, and if you do have that problem, we need to look at the company officer and see who we're promoting and who we're utilizing to, to be the coaches for these kids. Uh, and is a company officer job today different than it was yet years ago? Of course it is. But the old timers used to bitch about me when I was a kid, right? I mean, we all had that kind of stuff. Things always evolve. Things always change. Uh, and today it is different. You're dealing with kids that wouldn't know how to change a tire if their life depended on uh, it. You know, kids whose shoes are made of Velcro instead of uh, shoelaces, things like that. But it's just different. It's not bad. It's not anything else. It's just the way it yeah. is. And, and if Kid, kids be, who never uh, kids kids who never had to suck gasoline out of their uh, father's car with a with a hose. Yeah, and and hopefully never have to experience that. Right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's different. But if look, if you're going to take the test, if you're going to promote up, you, you need to get ready because you're going to be a counselor. You're going to be a boss. You're going to be all the above. And it takes work. Yeah, no, it's great stuff. And, you know, I wrote an article recently about the changing kitchen table that um, while uh, things are changing, that it is still uh, the kitchen table where everything happens. And that uh, great way to close us out. So I want to review a couple points you brought up uh, for, for, for our listeners, uh, for the folks that are out there. Uh, these are some of the things that uh, we captured from Chief Goldfeder. Number one, these aren't your fires. Uh, number two, you need to recognize the difference between stupid risk and necessary risk, and then take responsibility for your actions. Next is we've done better at uh, understanding that uh, this is not your playground. Uh, we've done better at size up and command and control and organized fire grounds. And uh, we've definitely reduced line of duty deaths. We're very close to or below that 50 that we talked about without the COVID numbers in there, of course. Um, we have improved in fitness. We have a renewed focus on company uh, officer uh, training in general. We're definitely smarter. Uh, there are, uh, though, things to improve on. We got to slow down. Uh, we need to do some size up improvements. I think we constantly need to have size up improvements because things change around us all the time in construction and in our communities. Um, and we need to have broader standardized training. What works on A shift needs to work on B shift, needs to work on C shift or D shift, depending on how many platoons you have. There, there really is no difference. And then we went into policy and we talked about how policy sets the tone. You need to train on the policy and then and, and then work through the process of the clock that you talked about. And listeners can go back and listen to that clock uh, definition again of dealing with policy. Uh, and lastly, we, we talked about relevance and remaining relevant in the future. Great answer was that you need to make sure that your fire service is immersed in your community. That's what's going to keep us relevant, not only in Southwest Ohio, but in Central Florida or in Central Oregon or in Northwest Maine is being able to immerse yourself into your community. Uh, Chief Goldfeder, I want to thank you for your time today. Uh, I want to 
remind all of our listeners that they can uh, go to firerescue1.com or firechief.com uh, or to lexapol.com and look for all of not only these uh, audios and the uh, other articles that we talked about and Chief Goldfeder's uh, fired up column, uh, but they can also get lots of great content on all of the emerging issues that are out there today. I thank everybody for listening. We'll join you next time here on the Side Alpha Podcast. Keep safe, stay smart, and take care.